he had all the time in the world to do whatever he wanted. And that was like my dream. I saw when I was 15 or 16, maybe 17, that I could live like that too. It's possible. And I didn't want to work another job as a dishwasher. <laughs> Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Karshovsky, and welcome to episode 38 of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Jacob Tuwiner, who I met a few months back while I was living in Budapest. Jacob caught me by surprise when we met when he told me that he was only 19 years old at the time and he was already traveling the world as a digital nomad while running his own SEO and link building agency. It's not every day that you meet someone that young doing the digital nomad thing, so I wanted to have him on the show to tell his story. During this interview, you'll hear about how Jacob was introduced to the digital nomad lifestyle at a very early age thanks to his cousin, how he started his own link building agency, and some of his top tips for finding new clients online. During the course of this interview, Jacob also gave several SEO and link building tips, so if you're someone who runs a website and is interested in improving your rank on Google, definitely don't miss this episode. As a quick note, the audio on this episode is a bit low, so make sure you turn up the volume once the interview starts, and don't forget to head over to your favorite podcasting app and leave this show a review. All right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this episode with Jacob Tuwiner. All right, well, Jacob, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for stopping by. I'm excited to be here, man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, man. So, okay, so first of all, I think that we should start by talking about how we met because it's one of those okay. classic, you know, location independent entrepreneur yeah, stories. Yeah. So you want to tell people how, uh, how and where we met? Yeah, sure. So I think it was two or three weeks into me being in Budapest in Hungary. Um, and I, my cousin sent me a link to a, a, a nomad meetup and it was for this thing called the nomad cruise, which, uh, I don't want to get into. It's pretty cool though. It's like a trip across the sea with a bunch of other nomads, but I didn't really know what it was. I just saw that a bunch of nomads were going to be there, so I went. When I walked in, I saw um, a guy named Nate who owns a travel blog. Talking yeah, he's to... been on the podcast before. Oh, yeah, it's okay, great, yeah. He's a good guy. I saw him talking to you and your girlfriend, and I was just like, well, I guess I should go make some friends. So I went over and said hello, and uh, we just kicked it off, man. We like fell in love, and, and here we are. No. We fell in <laughs> love? Man, I should tell Sarah. <laughs> yeah, she might get a little bit jealous. No, but yeah. I just remember we chatted a lot about uh, – business stuff and i thought it was cool that um you shared it's it's hard to find at least i thought it was i, I think once you put yourself out there it's easier but I, I i thought it was hard to find people that were business minded and um living the same kind of life as me because until then i hadn't met too many besides my cousin and the two friends i was doing it with and by do i mean traveling and working online working remotely mm-hmm. um but once i got there and, and talking to you and more people after that i realized that it's a pretty common thing you just have to put yourself in the right place yeah, and um, how old are you, by the way? Uh, 20. I just turned 20 last month. You just turned 20? Yeah, yeah. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, I'm, at yeah. that, I'm at that age where I have grown. I have gotten used to being, like, the youngest person in the room. And I think <laughs> when I met you was, yeah, like, you were t- I was, like, away. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> shit, this guy's way younger than me. Yeah, you said, I, you were like, how old are you? And I was like, uh, 19. And you were like, 
Jeez, man, like you're making me feel old. <laughs> I'm used to feeling like the young guy in the room. But. Yeah. So how did you get? I mean, so now you're traveling around the world. You know, you have a fully location independent, um, you know, income, which we can talk about. You do link building and SEO, and right. we're going to definitely talk about that. What I want to do is at the end of the interview. I want to kind of like get your best tips for people that are listening on how to like do link building, which is a very yeah, important sure. part of SEO. But first I kind of want to learn a little bit more about you and tell people a little bit about you because how exactly does a 19 year old end up in Budapest uh, <laughs> with his, like his cousin and his friends? Like tell yeah. me like just the story of how that okay. happened. Uh, this is a long one, but I love telling it. I'm glad that uh, it's finally being asked of me because normally I just go, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but um well, it all started when I was probably – I've always kind of been interested in working online. Like I actually read an article recently. I haven't released it yet called 11 Ways I've Made Money by the Age of 20. Uh, and it started, my first business was selling rocks in my attic to my parents for 25 cents uh, a rock. But uh, You started, sold your parents rocks? Yeah. I dug a giant hole in the backyard when we first moved. And uh, my dad, aside from being pissed off, uh, saw a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of rocks that I put in a bucket and I thought I could sell them for enough money to buy a gumball or something you know I don't know I was like six or seven years old but anyway then I started selling stuff on eBay I tried drop shipping I tried a lot of different stuff but uh, I kind of felt were you with... how are you selling on eBay like were you just finding things that were on sale and selling them yeah, or just like so random stuff in your I house? did a bunch of stuff I did I had a bunch of schemes so, so I would um, <clears throat> first I first I started selling first of all everything in my house started disappearing. My dad kind of noticed that, and he's like, what the hell is going on? So, uh, pardon my French, but um, after that, I realized I had to find some other inventory to, you know, source some, some new inventory. So, I started going to yard sales around, and I would buy books for, like, 25 cents each. I'd, I'd make an offer to buy them whole, all of them at once for even cheaper, like, 10 cents a book or something. And I would sell them on auction for $1, and they would usually go up to 5 to 10 bucks. And then I would also do media mail shipping, which is super cheap, and I would charge a flat rate on eBay, like $4.00. Or maybe five dollars, and it was like two dollars for shipping. So I made three to four dollars per book that I bought. It was just a lot of shipping. But after that, I would, um, I didn't just sell books. I would go to other stores like Goodwill and find stuff. Then I started going to school and telling my friends that I would sell their stuff for them and just take twenty percent commission because I realized most people have a lot of stuff too they want to sell, but just too lazy to do it. So I started doing that. Um, but eventually, that kind of like, I kind of got worn out by that. Um, I got into building computers when I was probably f- like gaming computers when I was probably 13 or 14 years old and I started posting YouTube videos uh, on my YouTube channel about like the best gaming computers for the money and uh, the ad revenue was just terrible I made I probably I probably have half a million video views and I've only made like a few hundred bucks from it in ad revenue but um, the I started doing affiliate links my cousin told me about affiliate links for the parts and that's where I started making some money that's how I discovered affiliate marketing and uh, so fast forward I'm like probably 16 or 17 um, I thought it would be a good idea to get a job. I thought it would be a good idea to uh, get some work experience, learn how to get yelled at and work as a team. Um, and I thought it would be good for college, too. At the time, I thought I was going to be college-bound. Whoops. <laughs> but um, I started working at a restaurant in the kitchen as a dishwasher. And uh, I worked, like, probably 20, 30 hours a week. So it was, like, part-time. And I had – the chef was great. The boss was great. But it was hard work. I was washing dishes. I was getting yelled at, cursed out. You know, the kitchen's really tough. Mm-hmm. So my cousin at the time – um, he's my cousin's my biggest influence. His name's Jordan Twiner. Um, is this the one that uh that kind of recommended affiliate links to you? Yeah, he's the one who got it all started. So his name's Jordan Twiner. He owns buybitcoinworldwide.com. It's one of the biggest Bitcoin websites. Uh, he ranks for like how to buy Bitcoin with PayPal, with credit card, with debit card in the U.S. Like all these keywords, mm-hmm. he gets a ton of traffic. Um, 
he started a website when he was like a kid about the Orioles because he liked the Orioles. And then from that, he went to college, uh, dropped out, and went to the IDF because he didn't like school. He was doing computer science. Myself, What's IDF? Israeli Defense Force. It's uh, the army mm-hmm. in Israel. Because uh, he was just kind of lost. He didn't like college, so he left and did that. In his downtime, he, st- he made this website, and it took off. And he's the one who got into SEO and taught us all, m- myself and my cousin, everything we know. Anyway, uh, he had come back from like a year for like a f- to see a family. Um, and he was sitting down with me actually in this house in the other room on the couch, and he showed me uh, HRS. He was talking about how I should just start a website about EZP, like about computers with for my YouTube channel. I could get both streams of traffic, and SEO is more uh, evergreen. So if I'm ranking for these keywords, it'd be better than always posting YouTube videos. So he helped me get started. I I just found the Jekyll. I built my website on GitHub and with Jekyll. I learned. I did Code Academy and I learned HTML and CSS, the basics, and Markdown. And I just started writing a ton of content about cryptocurrency, uh, cryptocurrency hardware, mining hardware, and uh, budget gaming computers. And I just started. I wanted to. I saw in Jordan after the after the army, he did really well. He traveled all around Asia as a digital nomad for six or seven months. Then he moved to Austin, Texas. Um, he had all the time in the world to do whatever he wanted, and that was like my mm-hmm. dream. I saw when I was fifteen or sixteen, maybe seventeen. That I could live like that too. It's possible, and I didn't want to work another job as a dishwasher. I didn't want to work, so I I just put everything I could into my website. After work, I would go home and work on the website, and um, I think that's the best way to learn SEO. By the way, if, uh, people always ask me like, "How can I learn SEO? Like, what can you do?" It's like just make a make a blog, dude. Just rank it in Google because you can go on Brian Dean's website. He's great. Neil Patel. These guys are great. But trial, I think, in error is the best way to do it. Anyway. Um, I just put all my effort into into EasyPC, which is my website still, my blog about computers. Wait, you own that's the URL is EasyPC.io, yeah. Oh, dot io. I was like, yeah, whoa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's like ten other EasyPCs. Okay. Maybe may, may an issue I have to address later down the line. But anyway, uh, yeah, dot io is the is the ending there. Um, it made enough money. That it was making the same amount of money as to the point where um, I could quit my job. And so like, how I, much? How much was that website making you? per month if you don't mind sharing um well when i quit my job it made 700 dollars a month 800 bucks a month which is what i was making mm-hmm. r- minimum wage part-time as a yeah as like a high so. schooler that's like yeah as a high know. schooler yeah and i was like yeah so I, i'd much rather put because i thought i'm doing part-time in the website part-time at work so if i just quit mm-hmm. and do all my time in the website so then it took off it went up to three thousand a month um but then the crypto market crashed and all half of my search traffic went with it and it really discouraged me um now i'm building it back up again i'm super pumped about it sales are coming back traffic's coming back but um, anyway, that's when I like through that making the website, trying to send so many emails, trying to build links. Like b- making the site is easy if you have like knowledge and you're a decent writer. You can even pay people to write for you. That content's mm-hmm. easy, but getting links, good links, is the hard part. So I spent so much time sending emails, and it was like manual. I would send emails all night long to websites trying to get guest posts, and I would it was mm-hmm. like consuming me, and. Um, yeah, through all of that, I I learned a lot about the website. Um, okay, so how did I get to Budapest? Well, I went to college. So for when one you, year. okay, so that's that's what I was gonna ask. So essentially, it's like you quit your job and you start yeah. making money. You know, from the website, you're kind of like in your yeah. at this point, you're still in high school, right? Yeah, I'm still in high school. I was probably a senior at this point when I quit my job. Uh, it was actually December of 2017 is when I quit. I worked there for just about one year, and I quit. Okay. Um, and I spent the last month in high school on the website. Um, I didn't want to go to college. Um, cause the thing was my older, oldest cousin, Jordan dropped out the, mm-hmm. my, my young, his younger brother, still my older cousin by a year, Austin, he was, I, you didn't meet him, but he was with me in Budapest. 
Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe he just left when I went to the meetup, but he also went to the same school, Towson University for computer science and dropped out with a website. And so I saw both of them doing that. And I was like, dude, I don't want to go to, like, I don't want to do, I just want to travel. Were you going to study, you know, were you going to study the science. same thing? I did. I went to Towson and I studied computer science for one year. Uh, and during that time I started going on Upwork. I started, I was a, well, actually before that, sorry, man, this is so much. Are you good? Uh, when I was, my cousin Austin, he was doing link outreach. He had a cryptocurrency site too. And he messaged a website called CryptoSlate.com. Uh, they're a pretty big cryptocurrency news website. And he was trying to get a guest post. And normally, you know, you write the guest post for free and you get a link. Or you write a guest post and you pay sometimes for it. Um, but this time, the guy offered him $0.10 cents a word to write for him. And, and Austin was like, what? Like, you're going to pay me? And then he let me know about it. And then I started – I was just going to write a guest post, get a link, and be done with it. But then I realized I could make some good money writing for this guy. So I started – that's how I started writing as a freelance writer. Um, and so at this point had your, when you kind of discovered that you could write content for other people and those people were going to pay you, was that out of, you just saw more opportunity or had your website already kind of like, like started dropping in revenue because of the, the, um, the Bitcoin crash and you were kind of like looking for other, for supplemental uh, revenue. At this point, my site was still increasing when I started writing for them. And then when it started crashing, um, I realized that I could, I was thinking I could write for other people for a high amount of money and then pay other writers to write for my website with the difference. That way I'd still be writing the same amount, but I'd be getting money in my pocket Mm -hmm. and content on my site. So that's what I started doing. And then I kind of got discouraged by, I mean, I went to college, so I was distracted by school and like I partied a little bit too much, you know, and, um, but I started going on Upwork and I started writing and this is how I, this is, I'm, I'm almost there. Almost how I got to Budapest. I started writing on Upwork and I was doing writing work for a company called, I think it was, uh, well, the websites were, it was called Versatech. There was like three websites I was writing for about power over Ethernet, like IT stuff. And uh, the guy was, I, the guy was asking about my knowledge of SEO. And I told him, well, I started a website and I told him how I would format the post to be SEO friendly. He kind of realized I knew my stuff and offered me a position as SEO company, as the SEO manager. So I would be like auditing sites when they're being onboarded telling people what to do and stuff like that. But I was only being paid 25 bucks an hour for it. And I realized within a month that this, like I could be making a lot more if I just got the clients myself. So I started mm-hmm. going on Upwork and I started getting client. I started doing a ton of, um, a ton of, uh, outreach. I closed my first two clients. I felt amazing. I got on the phone with a complete stranger, closed a deal with both of them for I'd say, at least at the time, even now, pretty good retainers as an 18-year-old. And it, it was like, I realized that I didn't want to go. Like, I was just tired of college. I didn't want to go. I wanted to keep doing that. So um, I just told my dad, like, he was really by the book, go to college. I was like, Dad. But he knew I didn't want to go. I was giving him so much pushback. I was like, Dad, I'm sorry, but, you know, this is not for me. I need to just keep working on this business. And so I dropped out. Um, I went to – I bought a one-way ticket to Israel. I was there for two months, and then I – just made my way to Hungary. I was going around and working and, and that's kind of how I got there. Yeah. How did your, okay. Cause there's a lot, I mean, having gone through a very similar process cause I too dropped out of college. I mean, two years yeah. in, <laughs> uh, and I had to tell my parents and like yeah, all this yeah. kind of stuff. How was, uh, you know, so you essentially tell your dad like, Hey, I'm going to quit college. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to jump on a one way <laughs> ticket to another country. Well, actually it didn't happen quite like that. Um, I originally I applied for this thing. So uh, by culture, by my mom's Jewish, so I'm Jewish, and us we get a lot of like, like there's the birthright birthright stuff. Yeah. yeah. So for people who've already done birthright, 
um, there's a program called Onward Israel where they match you with a, uh, a program in your field of study. So I was doing computer science and I really like SEO. So this program gives you an internship in Tel Aviv, which is a huge tech center in the, uh, mm-hmm. all around the world, really. And you get free housing, you get a food stipend, and you get a bus pass. The internship's unpaid, but you know, for a college kid, that's insane. You get to go to Israel for two months. Yeah. So that's why I went to Israel because before, I, when I applied to this internship, it was before I closed my clients. It was before I was making more money, and I wanted a free trip to Israel. But by the time I dropped out of school and it was time to go, I was making more money, and I was not even in school. So I was like, why am I doing this internship? And I had a return ticket home. I was going to go from Israel to Italy to because my friend's Italian, and we go there in the summers to visit his family. And then I was going to go to Amsterdam, and then I was going to go back home from Amsterdam. So I had a return ticket mm-hmm. home. But then I decided to quit the internship because I wasn't learning anything new. And I, I, what the hell do I need an internship for? I'm not going to apply for a job. So mm-hmm. so I quit that. And that was when I, for the first time, went out on my own. I went to Haifa from Tel Aviv. I was staying in a hostel. I worked on their website for a free place to stay while I was getting myself together, like a few hours a week. It was a pretty, pretty good deal. And um, when I was in Italy, my friend who had come out was, well, you didn't meet him either, but he basically went out to Europe with a laptop and $700 and just a dream, I guess you'd say. And when we were in Italy, we were like, you know, we don't really want to go home yet. We should go somewhere cheap like Poland and just work and try and build ourselves up while we're over here. So I called my dad. I was like, Dad, I'm not going to come home for a while. Um, I'm going to just stay out here and keep working and just build myself up. So when I do go back to the States, I'll have the financial muscle to get my own mm-hmm. place. I don't want to be a burden on anybody. So I ended up staying out there. It was Poland and then Hungary and then Romania. I'm actually in the States now, but that's how it worked out. So was that like... I mean, you said at the very beginning that you kind of always knew that you wanted to travel. Like, what was the reason for you heading overseas? Like, was it like, hey, I'm going to try to leverage like a lower, like a cheaper location in order to live? Or were you just like had the travel itch? Like, like, what was the reasoning before? Like, why not stay? Because, I mean, you can stay home at your grandma's or your parents and really hunker down and get shit done. But like, what was the, the thought process of going overseas? Um, well, there's a lot of things to be completely honest. Um, it started out, I just le- I left the States for the first time last summer. There's a lot of change going on in my life. Both my parents moved out of the city where I grew up. Both my parents got remarried, um, mm. and they've got new houses. So I kind of felt like I was away at co- when I was away at college, I wasn't around all that. So mm. when I went overseas for the first time, it was like getting away from all that stuff. Like I, had, My dad was like, we're moving, and I was like, all right, whatever. And then I left, and then I came back, and everything was different. And I was like, in college, I was like, gee, I came back the day before school started. So it was just like that. I was in school. My whole world was different, and I was kind of like, whoa, this is kind of crazy. And um, so the second time when I left, I just wanted to go away again. I, I love traveling, um, and I wanted to go out and travel more. Part of it, though, was just so that, uh, again, also like you said, the, leveraging the, the cheap prices overseas, in Eastern Europe especially, um, I knew that if I stayed over there, I could do a bunch of things. I could have a great time, travel while I'm young. Um, I could live for really cheap and still work online and make money. Um, like Poland is like a fifth of the price of the U S maybe even less. So where were you in Poland? I was in Krakow. I loved mm-hmm. Krakow. I don't know if you've been there, but yeah, Krakow yeah. is nice. Krakow is a really, really nice, uh, city to stay. I was there for five weeks. Um, but so what is your experience? So, you know, you said that, you know, your, your cousin was kind of like, you know, did this and you kind of always wanted to do it. And I'm guessing you probably saw like all of us, a ton of YouTube videos and blog yeah. posts on what it's like to be a digital nomad. Yeah, right. So what has your, your experience been like now that you've been doing it for like yeah. close to a year, at least, you know, like yeah. what are your thoughts? So it, it's really insane. <laughs> Honestly, being a nomad, um, I, 
I expected it. I don't know. You know, I think that um, after seven months, I actually got tired of it. Um, I wanted to go home for a bit. And I think it's just because the grass is always greener and you always kind of get used to something and you want something different. But I loved it. Um, the thing was, I loved always being in a new place. Um, and I love being with new cultures and seeing all these cool things and being able to work. It's just insane. Like it's, it's easier now to travel than it has been ever before. Like I always, Mm -hmm. when I'm on a plane, I think it's crazy that we're flying in the sky. I can go from East to West coast of the U S in six hours where it used to take nine months and half of your group died on the way. So I think it's like our obligation to travel right now. Um, but you know, I remember after I was in Krakow, I was there for five weeks and I really got used to the city. Uh, I was on a bicycle most of the time, riding around. I had made some friends. I, I got used to the area. I stayed in Airbnb for a month, and I kind of felt like I was at home. And then my time was up, and I went to Budapest. And then I was in a whole new place. I didn't know anything. And that's kind of how it is when you're a nomad. You kind of like, I think you get used to one area, and you then you reloc- when you relocate, it's almost like you're starting fresh in a way. Maybe after a while, you know every, you, you kind of get familiar with different cities around the world, so it's a bit different. And I think that's the cool thing. Like, you meet people, like, I met you, and when, one day when we're in the same area, we're going to meet up again and have a great time. Um, and you meet, you make a lot of connections. But I'd say one of the problems with being a nomad for me, I think, is that I think it's it can be hard, at least at first, to make really deep connections with people because you only know them for so long. And you, you, you get to the point where you're really good, like, you're close, you're friendly, and, like, I haven't talked to you in a while. We're picking up where we left off like that. But that's kind of what happens. You don't, like, have super close best friends you grow up with. You kind of have people all over the world that you're going to see again in a year, maybe six months. And you're going to be like, oh, what's up? And then you kick it kick it off again. But it's a different kind of yeah, lifestyle. Yeah, that's, that's something that I've had a lot of conversations with people as well because that is one of the big negatives. You know, it's like yeah. the positive is, A, you get to meet a lot of cool people who do a lot of cool shit from all over the world. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, you don't get those deeper connections, you know. Right. And so one thing that I've talked about and like with other people is when you're just getting started, like you are, is like either a go to like one of the, like, I remember somebody called it, uh, the college, uh, like the freshman dorms of nomadism, you know, (laughs) like Like Chiang Mai or or Bali. Yeah. Yeah. Where there's just like tons of people, you know, or actually you mentioned dude, like nomad cruise. It's yeah, such a great cool. way to meet like 200 people, and then you've got mm-hmm. you know connections uh, everywhere, tons of connections. That's a great yeah. way to do it. Yeah, yeah. My cousin loves Bali. I haven't been to Southeast Asia. I was planning on going to there on my trip, but I ended up I didn't get my vaccines before I left, so I think I'll do it next time I go out. But uh, yeah, I, get them in Europe. It'll be a lot Europe. cheaper. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Are you kidding me, man? The here, like the all the vaccines that you're gonna need for Southeast Asia are gonna be like six hundred bucks or something. Jeez. If oh, if you don't wow. have all of those before, but you go to Europe and even if you pay like out of pocket, like in Romania or something, it would be like a hundred bucks to get all of them. <laughs> That's crazy. So. I should have done that when I was over there. Then I mm-hmm. thought it would be like I thought there would be some issue with my insurance because like, no, because you just pay yeah. out of pocket, no insurance. Uh, you pay out uh, of pocket. You know, I should have done more. Well, either way, there's always more time. I'm gonna go back out there soon, but um. My cousin loved it, and he said that there's this place called Dojo. It's like a co-working space, mm-hmm. I think. In Bali. In, in Bali. In Chengdu. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you've been there, but he loved yeah. it. And he met a lot of cool people there, a lot of a really good environment. Um, I actually – I joined a co-working space in Budapest expecting to – it was my first co-working space I went to. Which I one? To, uh, it's called uh, Kaptar. Kaptar, Kaptar yeah, Kaptar. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that I could meet some, like, cool, like, nomad girls or something or, like, make some connections you know honestly like otherwise i just go to a starbucks to be honest with you but yeah 
um i noticed that the environment there was mostly like corporate like older people i think people who like can work remotely but they're still older and they're maybe not entrepreneurs they're more just remote workers um so i didn't really meet too many people that i got like i i don't think i met anyone there that i really was friends with i think though if i went to somewhere like a freshman dorm of being a digital nomad where i met more people like me that it would be better or like on nomad cruise for example so there's definitely ways to do it it's it's interesting because you're right. Like a lot of the like co-working spaces in Europe don't really have that same like nomadic feel that you'll yeah. get from like places in Chiang Mai or Bali. Um, like you tend to have a lot more like, um, yeah, like solopreneurs or people who are like running their business out of that co-working space. They're not moving around like we are. Yeah. But on the flip side, when you go to Chiang Mai and you're a quote unquote digital nomad, Nobody cares because everybody else there is too. (laughs) So you don't have that bond. Like you go into the coffee shop in Chiang Mai and there's like 12 other white dudes that are clearly not locals working on their laptops (laughs) and you know exactly what they're doing doing. there. Yeah. But you don't have that thing anymore. Like you walk up and like, oh man, like do you, you know, are you working online too? They're like, (laughs) yeah, like, like, move on. Like, you know, I got work to do. So it's, um, yeah. And I like Dojo. Like, I mean, one of the, like, I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard of Chris, the freelancer, but uh, he's a he's a good friend I think of mine. I have, he's, yeah, I think I yeah, have he's not I he's online. not traveling anymore. Um, but one of the things that he did that I love as a concept was he went all over the world and like record all the different co working spaces, and it's a lot of fun. Like it's like a hobby, you know. Like um, so yeah, I've been to Dojo. Dojo's really good. Um, their their cousin co working space in um, in Ubud. It's called Hubud. Hubud and Ubud. Yeah, I've heard about. Um, Austin likes is that also too. very good. Yeah. The really crazy thing about that one is you got monkeys like down the street, so these monkeys will just like pop up in the co-working I've space. I've heard they're real they bastards. Like, Dude, the take, monkeys take suck, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I had one, I had one because in Ubud they have this um uh like monkey, like what do they call it? The the monkey forest or something. Or yeah, yeah. Monkey. So there's yeah. all these monkeys that live in the middle of Ubud, and they tell you like they're vicious. So like don't mess with them like don't yeah. look them in the eyes because that yeah. like challenges and whatever <laughs> but they're smart dude they're like super <laughs> smart so they've learned to trade with you so they'll really? steal your stuff and then they'll try to trade you your own stuff back for like food what yeah yeah wow. they're crazy smart that's, that's crazy. so i had one that's climb crazy. up on my back open up my backpack and start looking around in there for stuff to like i guess like trade back you with let me. him do this or were you like freaked out or like i don't dude it's it, his fate his like hands are on my face like if i like try to fight him off he's yeah. gonna scratch me so they all yeah. said like if they climb up on your back just like relax and they'll like you yeah. know get it's off like a bee landing but... on you it's like just don't move and you'll be yeah fine. just chill out <laughs> yeah. yeah so what did you yeah so you're back in the u.s now mm-hmm. and what is what is the plan after this I mean, like, are you going to hit the road again? Are you going to stay home and kind of like, you know, buckle down? What's the plan? Yeah, my plan right now is I'm actually um, staying with family for now for about a month uh, looking for an apartment. I'm probably going to get a six or 12 month lease. Um, I've got some family stuff I want to take care of back home uh, with Mm -hmm. my little sister, make sure she's doing okay. Um, I also just think that I've been gone for so long, seven months out. I I think that I've had my share of traveling for now. Uh, Mm -hmm. I want to kind of hunker down. I also want to go to some like meetup events and sign some deals, close some clients at some meetup events in DC, um, and just spend some time in the US for a bit with family and friends. But I definitely plan on going back out again um, once my lease is up, and probably take some trips here and there. The cool thing about what I do and what we do is that we can literally do like whatever we want. Like I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we have to work, but we can go where we're location independent. So if one day I decide, like for now, I want to stay in the US, but if I decide one day I want to go back out again, then it's just a plane right away, really. So. 
it's not yeah it's not like a huge thing i don't think but yeah right now i want to hunker down um and just kind of focus on business and seeing friends and family in the states yeah and i think it's really smart too i mean especially at the point where i i think you're kind of doing the right thing is where like you went out, you kind of scratched the itch, you kind of like got to play around and see what it is. But if you really want to like, you know, get the business going, you got to like hunker down and like, you know, sign some deals and that kind yeah, of stuff. Exactly. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, like I said, for the people that are listening who are kind of like in your position where they, you know, run a service type business and just talk a little bit about like how you find your clients. Like I know that you mentioned that, mm-hmm you mostly find or like you were finding some clients off of Upwork, but what exactly are some of the strategies or the ways in which you've been able to find clients recently? Okay. Yeah. So, um, Upwork outreach is one thing and I actually have a pretty good, uh, hack for Upwork that gets a lot of clients. Um, it's literally just sending a video like a loom recording to them. Um, that's a big secret. I probably just foiled my trick, but it is what it is. Um, you just basically, instead of everyone on Upwork sounds like a robot, Everyone on Upwork is like, greetings of the day, sir. How can I, like, they say, like, I have four years of experience and this with this degree and this, this, and this. It's all about them. And clients don't care when they see that. So I literally would just say, like, hey, made this video for you. I put the Loom link. I say, I would love to learn more about your project on a phone call. Shoot me a message so we can set up a good time. Looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks, Jacob. I just sound like a person. Uh, I'm, like, actually talking about their problem. And in the video, I just for three or four minutes go over their proposal, and I talk about... Um, some of my past experience and just say if you want to move forward just let's get on, on the phone nobody sends videos on upwork so that just sets you apart from everybody and they also can see me and hear me so i'm like a person not just a thing on a screen and that really is a good for lead gen but um my problem with upwork is i think a lot of them have lower budgets people on upwork are t- trying to find people to get it done for cheap and, and i want to work with people who have more money to spend because people with a low budget are pain so I've been doing cold email, actually, um, and I, I know when I first started trying, this didn't work, but now I have a strategy that does work, so I want to share that. It's uh, The cool thing about the 21st century is you can get in contact with literally anybody instantly, no matter where they are. I could message Jeff Bezos right now. Uh, he probably has a ton of spam filters to protect against that, but like theoretically, if you find the right email, you can send him a message. Sorry about that. That's the phone going off here. You're good. Turn it off. Um, so... Um, yeah, what was I saying? Yeah, you can message anybody instantly. So why not just come up with your target audience, figure out who that is, figure out exactly who you want to work with, and do that. So I thought to myself, I started doing link building because my oldest cousin, Jordan, the one who has a Bitcoin website, has two other sites, and he knows that I know my stuff. So he thought, why not just hire me to do some outreach for him? So I started doing link building, and I started working with him originally. Um, and at this time, I was doing SEO consulting. This is before I delved strictly into link building. And uh, I realized that he's like my ideal client in his 20s, college dropout, owns a blog, knows the power of links, has a budget, isn't going to you know, bust my balls all the time. That's my ideal client. So I thought, what if I could get in touch with these people like this person? So I thought, I'll do ads. I'll do this. I'll do that. But that takes money, and I didn't have a big budget to spend. So the cool thing about my business and what I'm doing is I, I do all white hat email outreach. Like I don't have, at least now, I don't have any existing relationships with PBNs. I don't. I don't mess with PBNs or anything. I just like find websites that people want links from, like authority sites with real traffic, and I email them. And I have a system that I process, process, process. I've turned it into a process that I can repeat, mm-hmm. uh, productize my my process. So, and normally what I'll do is I'll send an email to these people for for a client. I'll send emails on the behalf of the client, uh, outreach emails to build a relationship with them, and then I kind of angle it into a link where I 
then we'll say, hey, by the way, and I hit them with a value offer they can't refuse, and I get the link that way. But my goal with the outreach isn't to get a link. It's just to build a relationship and just simply to get a response. My response rates are through the roof. And from there, I can look at each angle and figure out how I can kind of, you know, get a link out of that. But I realized that I could use the exact same process, but instead of trying to get a link, I could try and get a client. So I literally just do the exact same thing where I send emails to my, I find like the top five, my target audience are big blog owners in their 20s. So I find like, I think of random niches uh, that have, that would have a blog. I find the top four or five sites in each niche that would want links and I email them all. And um, then I hit them. Once they respond, I help them out. I build a relationship. I come back in with an offer. I say, um, how do you build a relationship? Because that's kind of like, I feel like a very key point there. Yeah. That like, it all makes sense, but how do you actually build a relationship? Yeah. So right now I just, um, I basically will send them a, I'll just like send them an email and make it all about them. Um, I make it very personalized. Each email is unique. So I kind of stalk. Well, I have my, my team does this now, but I would stalk people basically on the internet, find something about them, whether there's an interview, a book they've written, mm-hmm. um, anything really. And I'll just comment on it and I'll make it specific and unique. And because people love to feel important, like it's just, we love, we care about ourselves more than anything else. Like this sounds pretty terrible, but I, I, most people would care more about a pimple on their forehead than a tsunami in Japan, which is, I mean, Obviously, tsunami is terrible and really sad. Yeah. But we hear about tragedies all the time, and and, and we just kind of like, okay. It's more relevant thing. to your yeah. own life. Like, it's more yeah. relevant to your own life. So my point is, if you can strike someone's ego and make them feel good and make them feel important, mm-hmm. you know. So I'll hit them with a, an email that opens up with a personalized first line, and then I let them know about a problem with their website. Like, I'll say your site's slow, or you've got indexation issues, or, you know, maybe you don't have a lot of internal links, or you have too much too many blocky paragraphs you could space out really whatever it is um how do you make sure that they don't because i've done that in the past as well and something that can that i've experienced that can happen is that it can backfire because if you don't really give that negative feedback correctly it can kind of you can kind of come mm-hmm. across as like jabbing them yeah so, so how do you do you have any way to like make sure that that doesn't come across like negatively yeah, so my signature, my signature one right now is actually just about site speed, websites loading slowly. Mm-hmm. But I'm about to move into uh, custom problems because I found that there's like through my SEO consulting, I was auditing a ton of websites, and there's like five or ten issues that almost all websites have. And so I have, I'm gonna train my people soon that find websites to go through and like run through like an if else kind of like checklist where mm-hmm. it is like, is the site if this is the site slower than a 60 out of 100 on this test. If yes, then we can use a site speed. If it's faster, then they don't have a problem with that. Let's look at indexation. And then I have them inserted in a spreadsheet, which can go into a mail merge. But when I send the email to make it not come off as pushy or jab them, I guess, I just Mm -hmm. say something really simple that begs a response. I say, emailing you because your website loads. I noticed some issues with your site that make it load slowly. Love what you're doing, so happy to help for free. Uh, Mind if I send over some tips or mind if I send over some suggestions with a question mark. Thanks for your time, Joe. And then I have my signature. And that way, I just I open with a, it's really short. I open with a really nice compliment. Then I let them know that I found some issues that they could improve upon. I ask them if they want me to send over some tips, which is a call to action at the end of the email, so it increases response rate. And then I say either way, thank you and my name. And that mm-hmm. way, it's kind of up to them. But uh, most people, I mean, some of them are kind of like, why is this guy emailing me for no reason? Like it's a little fishy. I have gotten that before, and it kind of is. Like of course, you know, I, I'm trying to get a link, so that's what's in it for me. But most people are like, yeah, sure. And it really depends on the niche. Like if you're going after digital marketing people, they're going to know exactly what you're up they to. They know what's up. Yeah. yeah. But most people, like if you're in like, I was doing outreach for like a, 
a website in the sleep niche. So I was emailing people that do like lucid dreams and stuff like that, and they don't know and like mm-hmm. they, they're not hip to it so it works super well so it kind of depends on the niche you really have to be crafty but at the end of the day the main thing is to build a relationship is like what don't think about what's in it for me you have to think about what's in it for them what can i offer them that's going to make them want to respond because they any website that's worth getting a link from is going to have authority it's going to have traffic it's going to have a ton of people emailing them trying to get a link every single day or a guest post or whatever and if you just fit in like if you do the exact same thing and just say hey uh saw your article on this topic and thought that it would be uh, a good fit for a link for this i'd really appreciate it like just this like generic brian dean email that everyone sends you're not going to get a response it goes right to the trash so i try to go at it from a different angle where i can uh offer value first and worry about a link later kind of juice them up a little bit um and so instead of then going in for the link i'll just say i'll send over the tips and then on in that same email i'll say by the way I offer link outreach services. Um, I, If you give me a list of 10 authority blogs in your niche, I can get you a link from at least one of them with Stone Cold Email Outreach. Are you interested? And that's an offer that I think most people who see the value of links would be interested in. And then from there, I get them on the phone and I close or try to close at least. Yeah, and that's how um, actually, I mean, like, yeah, we met at that um, Nomad Cruise meetup. But the reason why we actually like met was because you were working with Nate who had told me we went out to dinner the night before and he was telling me that he was working with, as he put it, some wonder kid, young wonder <laughs> kid who was helping him out with link building. So, yeah. but you did just mention, um, you know, for people who would see the value in links. And I don't think we've really mentioned this yet. Like, why is it that people who have online businesses who have blogs oh, okay, um, yeah. and stuff like that, like why should they value like link building? Well, um, that's a great question. Um, link building is still one of the top ranking factors in Google. Now, I would say authority is more what I would say is one of the top ranking factors. Um, but you know, obviously, you have to have a good website that loads fast, that looks nice, is good on mobile, um, is structured well, has good content, easy to read. Like you have to have a good website. Like you can't put up a potato and point a link to it and expect it to rank. The at the end of the day, Google's main priority is giving the best result for the user. Um, matching search intent and getting their question answered as fast as possible. So you have to do that. You have to understand that part of SEO, which I guess would all kind of fall into on-page SEO. But I like to think of instead of like title tag and meta tag and all, I just like to think of it as like user experience and just Mm -hmm. answering the question. But assuming that you and your competitor both have really good websites and they both answer the same question, what's really going to set you apart between you and them taking number one is going to be your authority. And Google measures authority with links, basically. You can think of them for people who don't really know, <clears throat> a link is almost like a vote of popularity. So let's say I wanted to be running for president, let's say. Uh, an endorsement from a past president would pass a lot more authority and trust um, than an endorsement from Joe Schmo. Even an endorsement from a uh, 100 Joe Schmoes wouldn't be as much as one endorsement from a past president because he's got so much influence, so much authority in the political space. All of his followers would go and say, okay, this guy must know what he's talking about. Like Donald Trump, love him or hate him if he recommended someone. Half of his followers would praise him and half of his, half and his people who hate him would just like curse their, curse his name. But it's a big deal. So then the same way, if you're in like, let's say the Bitcoin space, your cryptocurrency space, we'll say, and um, you get a link from a huge blog like um, Coin, Coin News Network, I think it's called, or like Coindesk or Bitcoin.com. Um, or even my cousin's website, they're all huge authorities in the space. And when Google sees, let's say you write an article about Ethereum, and they write an article about 
the top 10 most popular cryptocurrencies. They don't want to go into a ton of detail about each one, so they might link out to a helpful resource like my article on Ethereum and say, if you want to read more, check this out. So Google sees that and they say, okay, the top authority on this topic is linking to this resource. So it must be relevant and it must be good. So we're going to give it some more. We're going to trust it more. We're going to rank it a bit higher is a good way that I like to explain it. And um, authority is becoming even more important nowadays because Google just recently rolled out their new policy called YMYL, which means your money, your life. Um, so that basically means, especially in like the health or the finance niches, um, but others as well, but primarily health and finance, authority is really important. If you search like signs of depression, WebMD, Healthline, Mayo Clinic, Harvard, they all come up because they're huge authorities in the space. And Google really wants to make sure that they give the proper advice on health. So <clears throat> they're going to rank authorities who are trusted. So basically, if you want to rank higher, you want to become an authority and getting authority links is the way to do that. But it's hard. That's where I come in, basically. Yeah, I I think I think of backlinking essentially as like a digital referral, right? Yeah. Like if you're if you have a friend who you really respect in a field and then that friend tells you, "Oh, you're curious about etc." and you refer and they refer you to that person, then you're going to respect that person already because it's coming from yeah. a referral from a good person. So it works the same way in a digital space. Exactly. Um and something that you mentioned that I just read that I thought was really interesting was that like you mentioned in those fields where authority is becoming really important, they mm -hmm. actually mentioned that, you know, in the past, it's like if you had your name as the author of the blog post, didn't really matter so much or, you know, whatever. But now in those spaces, yeah. it's really important because if, yeah. if like this health article is written by like Joe Schmo MD, that's important, right? Because that's a doctor yeah, exactly. that's giving health it's a advice. a doctor especially, yeah. yeah so yeah, it makes actually, a lot of sense in terms of – Sorry, ahead. go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, I was just going to say on my personal blog, um, I've guest posted and I have a whole YouTube channel about computers. So I have a lot of, on the internet, if you search my name, a lot of technology related writing comes up and I just hired, I've hired a writer. He's really great. He's a high school kid. He loves computers. He's doing my YouTube channel now starting to, um, and for a long time I didn't have him on my website cause I, I thought that if I had my name as the author that mm -hmm. it would rank the articles higher. So what I did was I put him on my about page on my, on easy PC and I put in, he wrote a whole bio about his experience and he talked about his computer specs. So I'm really hoping that I'm not going to suffer a rankings. I want to give him credit. I'm just hoping that it won't suffer a rankings penalty because it's not me writing it. Or at least Google doesn't see me writing it. So I'm hoping that, yeah, like because I put that on my bio, on my about page, that it will uh, help with that. But yeah, the person who writes it is definitely going to have a big impact, I think, especially in like those important fields where it really does matter. Like you don't want to take finance advice from a guy with a gambling addiction. You want to take finance advice from a guy who like, is a you know a billionaire so right yeah yeah i think seo is just one of those things that is going to be constantly changing and Always, you need yeah. to be ready for you know like hey you need to stay up to date and you but need you, to you can be ready for it though i was just going to say like people people are like how like all the like people will get smashed by algorithm updates or they'll like mm -hmm. how can i stay on top of like google it's always changing how can i know you know but the thing is if you just know that Google's main, what Google's at the end of the day, their main priority is to serve the best result for the user. Just make sure you're the best, and just like if someone is better than you, make yours better than them. Like, for example, like, um, I used to do a lot of SEO consulting, and this is why I got out of that and strictly do link building. So I only work with people I want to work with. I would get on the phone, especially on Upwork too. This is another reason why I'm off Upwork. People don't know what they're talking about. I would get on the phone. I had a guy who uh, owned a keto diet supplement. Uh, company and he had his product in all these GNC and vitamin shop stores around the, the country but he wanted to get more 
e-commerce uh, sales. And he asked me, like, how can I rank higher? We're not ranking well. I looked at his site. He's like, how can I rank for, like, best keto protein supplement? I looked at his site, and it's just, like, terrible. It, it, it was, like, l- slow. It looked terrible. There's ads everywhere. It just didn't make sense. Like, there's random pages, URL. It was just a terrible website. He's like, what keywords can we optimize? I'm like, dude, like, you're not going to rank for this if your site looks like crap. You have to be the best. Your product's probably good. You're a good brand, but your site is terrible. Um, and and uh, I forget the name of it now. You might know, but there's a, there's actually a, a supplement company that has a, a website that's really good. I wish I could remember the name, but Google's even said that this is the site that you should – like, this is a great site for SEO. You should model your sites mm-hmm. after this one. So I basically said to him, like, look, man, I don't even want to work with you right now because your site is just not in shape to, to rank. I sent him a link to that site, and I said, make your site as good or better than, as this one or then this one, and then you'll have a chance to rank. But until then, no matter what you do, you're not going to rank. Like, people don't – you have to be the best, like, actually provide mm-hmm. value. Because that's why SEO – that's why people who rank in Google – like, people are like, why can you make money if you're ranking in Google? Like, what does it matter? It's like, because you're providing value to people. You're If someone's looking for the best gaming computer and my article is really helpful and shows them all the best parts and gives them all that information, and I put that together with my time, why shouldn't I see an ROI on that? But Google's not mm-hmm. going to rank me unless I do that well. So that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I think that's a, and I think, you know, if you talk to people that have been around for like 10, 12 years, they were like trying to figure out like, what is the easiest way to like game the system? And it was easy back then to game the system. But if you talk to people from that have been running business since then, they all have a story about Google, you know, slapping the wrist and And then then, them having, exactly. So a lot of people now have like learned and, you know, a lot of the advice out there is like, just do a good job and like do, you know, everything with the customer and the reader in mind. And like those penalties won't. Yeah. be as hard as like you know they have yeah. been in the past um but brother thank you so much for stopping by the show uh i really appreciate it in uh closing do you have any sort of tips or if anybody has any questions where can they get in touch with you um you know like you're you're running this you know link building agency now which for 20 years old is i mean we didn't really talk about how big your agency is but um, you know, you guys have a bunch of clients. You're doing very well. So if anybody wants to reach out and ask you questions about that, where can they do that? Uh, yeah, so um, my website is twowinerseo.com, uh, T-U-W-I-N-E-R-S-E-O. Yeah, we'll put it, we'll put it in yeah. the show notes. So. It's, a pretty, it's a pretty terrible name. I have to change it because no one knows how, how to pronounce my last name. Um, but uh, my website has a contact form. Um, but if you just search my name, you'll find me, Jacob Twowiner. Uh, I'll show up. Um, so, so yeah, uh, in closing though, I what guess about socials, uh, do you have an Instagram or, I mean, you have an Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. But... My Instagram is uh Jacob two winer, I think. And my Twitter is like okay. Jacob underscore two winer. I guess we can put that down below too. Right. Something yeah, like that. It'll be, yeah. it'll be in the show, in the show notes. For yeah, sure. sure. Um, to anyone who wants to build authority links, just, I guess as a closing word of advice, just, uh, go against the, the flow and try and stand out and try to offer value to people first and worry about how they're going to benefit before you. And you'll have much more success than if you just try and like hoard a bunch of links. So, so yeah. Cool, brother. Well, thank you for stopping by. Uh, I uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, man, it's been great. I really had a good time on this podcast. <laughs>